0: This morning is from Second Samuel six one through fifteen. Second Samuel chapter six verses one through fifteen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along, or you can follow along on the screens as well. This is God's word. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring, against, bring up from the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went out before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God." And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside and put it in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. This is God's word. At this time, children up to kindergarten are dismissed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing.
1: What a wonderful passage to worship over and study together On the week following the launch of a new capital campaign, it is the promise I make on behalf of the elders that God being our helper, we will fix our attention and yours on Christ from this day forward without fail to the very end. Buildings and finances and all manner of methods of worship and glorifying Christ will be used as tools and they will not take center stage. You have our word. You have God's word. Would you pray with me? Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I feel a weight on me today, Lord, to receive the conviction toward holiness. This passage Lays heavy on my heart for my own life. And to pass it on as a sweet, heavy conviction to this body. That they too would feel a call to holiness. To let be, be sliced off them like cords of a heavy bag of rocks. Every sin that so easily besets them. Letting those rocks fall to the ground. Never to be carried again. But to bear the happy load of the conviction of holiness. Like a pack full of delicious food. That can be drunk from and grazed upon with every step of the journey. Lord, I pray that you'd create in me and in us a holy people. Ready to say by our living and by our dying. We would glorify you. Lord, I pray that around the world right now, churches in Russia and churches in Ukraine. Churches gathering of Palestinian believers in Jesus Christ and churches gathering with Jewish believers in Jesus Christ would be empowered by the fullness and presence of the Holy Spirit. The mercy of God would rest heavy and sweet upon them. And churches in Asia and churches in Africa and churches in In the United States and all through the Americas would be emboldened and empowered by your Holy Spirit to preach fearlessly the gospel of Jesus Christ and to worship you for all that you are worth. Guard every one of us, every believer alive on the planet today from ever using you. Manipulating you. But rather call us to bow low in trembling worship before you. I ask it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. We return to our trek through First and Second Samuel. Here in this passage today, there's a glorious call through the writer of Second Samuel that Andrew had just read to us, this passage in Second Samuel six that says... The greatest danger any church faces is to take its eyes off of God and his glory through Jesus Christ and put its eyes on itself and say, somebody's got to fix this place. We're a mess. Somebody's got to fix this marriage or this husband or this wife. Somebody's got to fix this church. Somebody's got to fix the churches in this city. Somebody's got to fix this ministry or or that Idea or that worship service or style, somebody's got to fix it. It's the greatest danger this passage warns against. Thinking that somehow I or you or anyone is called to fix what God has created and what God owns. God says, I have enlarged and created and blessed and protected the church in order that the church would worship me. That the church would be enthralled with me. I'm your joy. I'm your hope. I'm your sovereign. I'm your savior. I'm your supply. Look to me. Look to me. Look to me always. Do not deviate to the right or the left. Don't ignore my word in any of your worship. But look to me. Look to me. Look to me. That's what's called holiness in the Bible. That's why I've been. Working on memorizing Psalm twenty nine, one and two, where it says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness at the end of verse two there. What it means is God is the holy one. He calls for people to worship him in holiness. That's what he's telling me in my personal life right now. That's the the weight of conviction that rests on me. You might remember in our walk through Second Samuel, David is now the. Public king of Israel. He's the king of the United Israel. There's no civil war battling between the tribes anymore. And and he's the great king. He's taken Jerusalem as his capital. But he's failed by taking many extra wives. That points forward to a sorrow and a sin that we all know is coming. Yet God mercifully gives David military victories. Just recently in chapter five, two victories over their arch enemy, the Philistines. And so David is full of joy and excitement and confidence. And he says, let's get that ark. The ark of God, let's get it up here to Jerusalem. The ark of God has been in storage, as it were. For about 70 years, Saul didn't want to have anything to do with it. Others, other passages say that for a section of time, it was it was put aside. It wasn't stolen by the Philistines any longer, but it wasn't being given its honor and central place by the Israelites either. David, now 10 years into his kingship, still hasn't. Brought the ark to his place of leadership until now. Second Samuel six. And he says, let's go get the ark with a big celebration. Thirty thousand men with all their family members, probably seventy thousand people. Let's go get the ark and let's bring it to Jerusalem. Look at how it happens. The presence of the ark arrives in verses 1 and 2 of the passage that Andrew just read. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah. That's another name for curious. Jerom, that's a name some of you might recognize. That's where the ark has been stored to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. You see, David had conversation with God. Shall I go up against the Philistines? And God said, yes, go up. And he gave him victory. But the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, God sitting enthroned on the cherubim with their wings signaling the covering of God over sin, that hadn't come yet to David's ministry and capital of Jerusalem. He had conversation with God. He knew the voice of God, but he hadn't brought to all the people The experience of the mercy of God. It was coming in the ark. It was symbolized by this five foot by two foot by two foot box, which symbolized the very presence, the seated presence of the living God. It's the most precious reality any people of God could ever experience. The presence of the living God among them. Rip away every budget or building. Rip away every other human resource, but don't take from us the presence of God. The trip was about 10 miles long. Verses three and four says, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart. Careful Bible readers will go, what? (laughs) A new cart. What's this new cart thing? Brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. Boy, they're making a big deal out of this new cart thing. That's a little weird. I don't remember anybody supposed to put the ark of God on a new cart. With the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark. What's emphasized here by the author? What's emphasized here by the author is the two guys driving it, Uzzah and Ohio, aren't Levite Kohathites who are supposed to move the ark. What do you two think you're doing? Do you realize how dangerous it is for you to take the place of the Levites and Kohathites who are supposed to carry the ark on poles on their shoulder? Numbers chapter 4 and chapter 7 make that so plain. So, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Every careful person should be... Very fearful and anxious about watching these two guys from Abinadab's house putting the ark on a new cart, hooking up an ox to it and saying, we're ready to go. Beverly Hillbillies, let's do it. It's not going to turn out well at all. If the ark of God. Meant for David and the Israelite people, the very presence of God, His mercy, His cherubim wings covering in the Lord, sitting on the seat of mercy and extending mercy to Israel for the forgiveness of their sins, and and making every one of the people coming to Him by faith, both from the Israelite tribes and from all neighboring tribes who would who would repent of their sins and follow. What is the Ark of God today? We don't have in this building, dare we never, as if it were an abomination that causes desolation, a ark five foot by two foot by two foot and say somehow that's the presence of God. Why not? Because the ark pointed forward to the person of Jesus Christ, the son of David, who would come and in him, not in a box, but in him, we would come and meet God and find his mercy. Amen. Amen. That's how we meet God now, since the cross of Christ and his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the father's right hand. The box would be an abomination and all sacrifices. Now we come to Christ and to Christ alone and meet God there. Peter preached this in Acts two brothers, I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet. Is the presence of God and as Christ ascended to the father's right hand, the father and the son together poured out the Holy Spirit upon the earth, upon all flesh, the Bible teaches for unbelievers, the spirit is convicting of sin and of judgment and of righteousness for believers, the Holy Spirit is making us holy. Now the very presence of a human being filled with the Holy Spirit is as precious to God as the ark was, if not more. The people of God gathered together, the church with the Holy Spirit, filling them with God's presence are as precious to God yet even more. His word and his son, these are the holy Bible and they are precious and holy to God as much as the box was, if not more. Reserve the term holy, not for mackerel and smokes and moly. But for God, for his word, for Jesus, for the church and for human beings filled with his spirit. All the blessings of God come to us through Jesus Christ. All the intimacy, all the presence, all the mercy, all the forgiveness come to us through the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling within us and lingering among us, even as He is right now. Many biblical scholars with whom I agree observe that the arrival of the ark back in David's kingship and to the people that were gathered around him was very much like God walking in Genesis. With Adam in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. It was the sweet arrival of God's mercy and presence. This intimate, beautiful love and joy, this overflowing kindness and grace where God says, I'm here among you not to destroy you, but to forgive you and to love you and to make you my own. David is, therefore, a kind of Adam pointing us forward, not just to the hearing of God's voice, but to the experiencing of his mercy and forgiveness in his presence among us. Most important thing for any Christian household, the most important thing for any Christian marriage or any Christian heart, the most important thing for any Christian church is that the very presence of the living God be there for extending his mercy and his grace. Whatever grieves him, whatever disobeys him, whatever rejects him, whatever expulses him from our presence, we should avoid with all costs and at all effort. So you see in this passage, two kinds of worship. You see David gathering the people for worship and trekking the 10 miles to all Judah to get the ark and bringing it back. And they say, great, get a couple guys from Abinadab's house. They've got a cart. I think they've got an ox. Let's just put it on that. I think it's even a new cart. That, that should be great. Wheels aren't going to fall off. Ox knows how to walk. You'll see promises emerge as we go. The first promise that emerges is worship against the word of God creates death by God. First promise you'll see out of this passage, worship against the word of God creates death by God. Look at verses five and seven and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres, harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David knew it. Probably Abinadab knew it. Probably Uzzah and Ahio knew it. That they shouldn't be putting the ark of God explicitly on a cart. And it shouldn't be hauled by an ox. And it shouldn't be touched by any human hands. Numbers four and number seven make that so plain. Numbers four and number seven say that the ark of God should be carried on poles by Levite and they can't touch it with their hands for their hands are unclean sinners such as we are. David knew that. Let's just do it our way. God fought for us, won a couple of victories. Of course, he's going to let us tweak things and just do it our way. My goodness sakes, how long was numbers written ago? Let's just do it the way it works. We've got a, a, a new cart. We've got an ox. We've got a couple guys willing to drive the ox and steady the ark. That should be fine. It's only 10 miles. They arrived to Nacon's threshing floor. And if you read your Bible carefully or even spend time looking up all the things that happen at threshing floors, that's where, where glorious and horrible realities happen. Threshing floors are where the worship of God is divided from the worship of idols. That's what happens at threshing floors all the time. That's why it's no mistake that right here, God ordains for the oxen to stumble near Nacon's threshing floor. Let me fix it. Let me let me steady the ark. I don't want my cart to be the problem. I don't want my ox to cause a problem here and cause this this presence of God to fall off onto the dirty ground, the mud, for goodness sake. I'll steady it. Instant heart attack. The anger of the Lord, verse seven, was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. Many careful observers and interpreters of this passage far wiser than me have drawn observation so plainly that that what's being confused here is that Uzzah somehow thought his sinful hands were cleaner than the mud that the ark might fall into. R.C. Sproul says it this way, so I'll quote him. It's so helpful. The great sin of Uzzah was the sin of arrogance and of presumption. You see, Uzzah believed that what would desecrate the sanctity of the Ark of the Covenant would be the mud. But what is mud other than the mixture of dirt and water? And when you mix water with dirt, a law of God's nature follows. It becomes mud. And in so doing, it obeys the creator because when water is mixed with dirt, it's supposed to become mud. There's nothing evil about the mud. God had not given his law to keep his throne from being stained by contact with the earth. What he wanted to ensure was not that the Ark of the Covenant would be polluted by dirt, but that it would not be touched by a human hand. And Uzzah presumed that his hands were cleaner than the dirt. And God said no. That's R.C. Sproul. You see, David and his leaders, including those two brothers transporting the ark, ignored God's word plainly and boldly and obviously. They knew that they were supposed to ask only the the prepared and dedicated Levites to use poles to carry the ark and that they should carry the ark and set it down without actual human touching the ark of God, for it was the very presence of God and his mercy. So here's the warning for today for all of us. Take your unclean hands and never touch anything holy with them. Do not presume to steady or fix Christ in any way. Do not presume to improve upon or fix the Bible in any way. Do not presume upon to come to any local church and be the one to fix it in any way. Not even if you're the pastor. Do not come to another person's human life in whom dwells the Holy Spirit and presume you've got the knowledge to fix them. In any way. All that is called holy, God has in the palm of his hand and he's working with it exactly the way he intends. Humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, for he's at work in the person sitting next to you, in front of you and behind you. And the person who you wish was in the empty seat nearby. And the, and the churches of this city and the churches of this country and the gatherings of believers from around the world and throughout history, God is at work. He calls His people and His word and His individuals and His Son holy. And He says, don't put unholy hands of fixing or repairing or improving upon it. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they died instantly. Similar to Uzzah, but we're told of Ananias and Sapphira that one of the reasons that they died instantly was in order that they might not be condemned with the rest of the world. You know what I think happens to Uzzah? I think he goes to be with the Lord. I don't think Uzzah is condemned. I think like Ananias and Sapphira and like other examples you can think of in the Bible, even even the example of the Lord's Supper where we're told not to take of the Lord's Supper without Discerning the body so that we don't get sick and fall asleep and die. Even in that passage, it's made plain. Paul is not saying those who get sick and fall asleep and die are lost. He's saying they are being spared. It's a final sanctification. They're being spared for their sin. I think Uzzah went to be with the Lord. But I think he went to be with the Lord, having experienced what all sons of God's love experience, and that is his discipline. May we say to the Lord, whether by my life or by my death, I wish to glorify you, have mercy with me and do with me what you will. We know we're on the right track in understanding today in the new covenant, the things that are holy as not to be touched with unholy hands, because Jesus said, you remember in Matthew chapter five in his sermon on the Mount, that even to speak. Insulting, condemning words against another brother in Christ is equal to murder. Speaking an insult against another brother in Christ is like putting your hands on the ark. What if a church said. We're going to regard every single syllable of the Bible as holy. And we're going to regard Jesus Christ as holy. All holy in our public and in our private conversations with him. And we're never going to ever speak ill of the Holy Spirit or of God the Father or of his church. We're not going to speak ill of each other ever. You never have to fear that. It's never going to happen. I'd rather die than speak ill of a brother in Christ. That's the church where you feel safe. That's the church where God's presence dwells for mercy and for forgiveness. The first promise you have to see is that the worship of God, apart from the word of God, always brings death. You can see a second promise in verses 8 through 11. Worship of God against the word of God is always a warning to draw near. The worship of God against the word of God is always a warning to draw near. Whenever you see anybody not obeying the word of God, it's always a call and a invitation and even a warning to draw near. Look at verses eight through eleven. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. Do you see that verb broken out? It's the very same verb used twice in chapter five. Where God breaks out against the Philistines to give a victory to David and the Israelites. David loved that word because it was his rescue and victory by the hand of God against his enemies. And now David is angry because the Lord has broken out against Uzzah. It's like David is saying, what am I a Philistine? You're breaking out against me. I thought you were for me, God. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? I'm sending the presence of the mercy of the glory of God away. There's a warning here. I don't know if you feel angry at God right now. I don't know if you feel disappointed with God. I don't know if you feel like he hasn't heard your prayer. I don't know if you feel like he's answered in a different way than you hoped. I don't know if you feel somehow like he's. Withdrawn from you or that there's a distance between you and him or you feel cold between you and God. I don't know if you feel in any way like you are tempted to be like David here, angry with God. But David. Had a moment of repentance about to arrive in his life, and he's going to lean in because his pushing away the very presence of God was a massive mistake. But there's a crisis going on here, isn't there? It's a it's a warning to lean into God. Worship against the word of God is a warning to lean in and seek God. David's fear and anger together are understandable. How can we have the ark of God come into the city of Jerusalem if, if someone's going to accidentally maybe bump up against it and die? But David needs to see it's got much more to do with With his heart and with the glory of God than with boxes or with space or with land or with buildings. You might know that in this same account of this event, David bringing the ark to Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, it's very, very clear what David does. He does two things. One, he takes the ark, the one on its way to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm going to send it to a Gathite's house. A Philistine house. Obed-Edom is the name of a guy who honors the Lord, but he lives in Gath, the same city Goliath came from. He's a Philistine. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but just think with me about what's happening here. The people of God, David and Uzzah, they disobey. One dies. God ordains their disobedience to send the gospel To the city of Gath, the Philistines, the unbelievers, the Gentiles. How many times in the Bible does the disobedience of the Jews lead to the gospel going to Gentiles? I thought of about six. I I put them in my manuscript. I'm not going to say them for a time. Lots and lots of times God allows and redeems the disobedience of the Jews to result in the gospel going to the Gentiles. Praise his name. In First Chronicles 15, David has a discovery. It's a moment of crisis and repentance for him. Maybe this is a moment that needs to happen in my life or yours. Listen to the words of First Chronicles 15:12 through 15. Here's David speaking. He gathers all the Levites and priests together. This is what he should have done in the beginning. And he says to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, see his repentance. The Lord, our God, broke out against us because we did not seek him according to his rule. What a beautiful way to repent. Repent. So the priest and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord and the the God of Israel and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had Moses has commanded them, according to the word of the Lord. Instead of pushing the ark away, he goes and he has a deep Encounter with the living God, reading his word, and he says, Lord, I'm going to lean into you and I'm going to do it your way at the landing. We're going to worship your way. We're going to treat each other your way. We're going to treat the Bible your way. We're going to glory in Jesus your way. We're going to regard ourselves your way, God. And then we can expect your full blessing to be poured out upon this church family. Praise the name of the Lord. David leans into the Lord with all his might and look at the result. Worship by the word always brings joy and life. Worship by the word always brings joy and life. That's the third promise. Verse 12, and it was told King David, they call him king now. Good job, David. You went and had a private time in the word and you changed your leadership to improve it so that it pleased God. You are indeed our king. We love you, David. It was told, King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Surely David says, so can you bless us too, Lord? He's he's Goliath's neighbor, for goodness sake, and you're blessing him. Surely you can bless us too, Lord. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps... He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Six days, sacrifice, skins for Adam and Eve. Six steps, sacrifice an animal. The same animal we thought was so good to power our new cart and and was a sign of our strength. Look at us. We got an ox and a new cart. Is the animal that gets sacrificed. Lay all your strengths on the altar. Give them to the Lord. Let him sacrifice them for his honor and praise and for your joy. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. You make sacrifices and you wear a linen ephod and you dance before the Lord, not just if you're a king, but if you're a priest. What if you come to this point in the message and say, I am really a whole lot more like Uzzah than I ever dare admit. It's it's really quite amazing that the Lord hasn't taken my life from me, because, quite frankly, I have spoken ill of other people. I have disregarded and treated as common God's word. I have not always honored and worshiped Christ as holy in all my life, privately and publicly. I have not spoken about his church with all honor and holiness as he commands. I'm quite a a bit like Uzzah, if I must be frank. And honest. How is it that God does not wipe us all out? Beginning with me. In David. In verses 12 through 15. God. Appoints. A man prophetically showing us. What our high priest and King Jesus. The son of David will do for us on the cross. He will be stripped and and worship the Lord with all his might. He will be like a a, a fattened animal or a sacrificed ox. He will do so as a perfect priest wearing linen ephod, as it were, because he is the great high priest to whom David's priesthood and all other priesthood are a pointer. He will be our king and priest combined together as David is here in verses 12 through 15. We have our hope and that is our entire life of worship can be offered to the Lord, purified and made useful and pleasing to him through faith in Jesus Christ. If you feel as I have and do a conviction under this passage that I have not always called holy what God calls holy, then come to him and say, Lord, cut off of my back all the rocks I'm carrying for the way I've sinned against you and all you've called holy. I invite you. To leave in this room, whatever sin you brought in. I invite you to worship the Lord and dedicate yourself to Him to speak and write and think and sing and act in holiness before Him all of your days. And then expect the rushing of refreshing from His presence to be poured out upon you, just as David and Israel experienced it. And we'll see that in the chapters to come. Peter again preaches. At the moment of Pentecost in Acts three, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Even Jesus. Let's pray. Having received, Lord, these great promises We resolve to cleanse ourselves from every defile of embodiment and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We want to worship you in the splendor of holiness. We want to worship you in the way that you deserve. We want to worship you in accordance with your word, knowing all that's in it. We want to worship you valuing one another as believers in Jesus Christ, valuing your church as you do, having died for her and you are washing her with the water of the Word till she is without spot or wrinkle. Valuing each person made in your image and now being redeemed and fashioned into the image of Christ by the Spirit of God within them. Valuing every experience and every encounter with you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and in no way As you help us, speaking ill of you, to you or to anyone else. Valuing your great work across the earth as you build your church. Using broken, tilted, muddy people. Knowing you are the Lord of the church, not us. Father, I pray for these coming days for the landing. That we would love the fact that the person of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit dwells within us and among us. And do and say nothing to grieve you in any way. Please help us, Lord. Please guide us through ministry building and through caring well for one another and through engaging in in. Handling your funds in a way that pleases you and engaging in handling the the gifts of this building and land that you've given to us and engaging in in the proclamation of the gospel and all the other wonderful sending out of missionaries in short term mission trips and long term ones for the sake of the name across the globe. Would you please guard us, Lord, in every way from committing the obvious error of of a. Man like Uzzah who put his hand out to steady your glory as if unholy hands could ever do it. Thank you for the lending. Thank you for your presence here with us even right now. Thank you for all the many ways that you're ministering to your people. Just as you're ministering to me, I can feel like you're ministering to others. I pray that no one would rush away from that conversation with you, but they would linger and quiet themselves before you and hear your voice rejoicing in our high priest, King Jesus, who like David offered sacrifice and took our sins away, grants to us your righteousness and gives us both grace to cancel past sin but also conquer future sin and live in a way that's holy and pleasing to you. Do that and so many more things than I know to pray for, Lord, by your Spirit in this room and in our hearts. And as we Fall down before you receive our worship in response. In Jesus' name I pray.